Today we're going to continue our series, uh, The Lord Has Spoken, and you know we've been looking at three of the minor prophets. Uh, today we're going to be studying the book uh, by the Old Testament prophet Obadiah. Obadiah. Now you might have missed Obadiah uh, because it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only 21 verses. So you're probably hoping this is going to be a really short message, since it's the shortest book. But you know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but you know, it, what we're going to find is in this 21 short verses that a lot of stuff happens. Uh, there is a lot of stuff packed into 21 verses, including a massive betrayal among relatives and how God deals with it. So, okay, over your life, some of us have been around longer than others. I expect, though, that most of us have been in a situation at some point where somebody you thought you could count on turned their back on you. Someone you thought that you could trust betrayed you in some way at some time at the point when you really needed their help. When you could have really used their help. So, just a question. When, when that kind of thing happens to, to people, to any of us, how does that make you feel? How does that make us feel when that happens? You can't say betrayed because that's the word. I already I can't use the, the, the definition. How does that make us feel? Anybody? Rejected, Re angry. Rejected, angry heartbroken. Really disappointed. Those are all, those are great answers. I mean, because it, 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 I think what happens is when it's somebody, because it's, you know, close, right? We let our guard down. We don't, we don't kind of live with our defenses up. And so we don't expect that type of behavior. And so it really catches us off guard. Well, here's the, here's the thing. Obadiah is going to tell us as we read it that God will take care of all these kinds of injustices. So as we study Obadiah today, uh, I'm hoping that we can all come away with some ideas and thoughts on how we can apply it to our lives when, when those kind of things happen to us, how we should respond to it, and what we should do. So let's open our Bibles to Obadiah. Um, it's back near the end of the Old Testament. Uh, and let's read those 21 verses and see what they have for us, okay? So now, let me just give you one bit of setup because sometimes when we start reading God's Word, you know, it, it's good to know just a bit of what, who it is we're reading about, okay? So what we're going to read about, this is a vision of Obadiah, and in verse 1 it says, this is what the sovereign God says about Edom. So now, Edom are, are, are the descendants are the descendants of Esau. Okay, so you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Well, J Jacob had a brother, Esau. Okay, and so Esau was not the chosen one, Jacob was. Okay, but these are, these are everything about Edom is about Esau and his descendants. Okay, so they're called Edomites, but they're Edom. So that's who we're going to be reading about. So here we go. So, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord, as an envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, 
I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who could bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you, those who eat your bread and will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? You warriors, your warriors, Timon, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter because of the violence against your brother Jacob. You will be covered with shame. You will be forever destroyed. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had, uh, be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble. And they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. And people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. The company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath, and exiles from Jerusalem who are in uh, Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Okay, so verse 1 confirms everything that we just read is about Edom and how they treated their family, the Israelites. The Edomites, as we said, are the descendants of Esau, who was Jacob's brother. Now, we know that going back into Genesis 25. I want to read you a few verses from Genesis chapter 25 verses 20 to 26, so that we understand kind of how the background of Jacob and Esau's relationship was, okay? So Genesis 25, starting with verse 20, uh, Isaac 
who was Jacob's father. Isaac was 40 years old when uh, he married Rebekah. And, uh, and Isaac, prayed, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer. And his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, there are two nations in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger and the other, uh, one will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were two twins in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. And so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to the both of them. So what we see from the very beginning, God had said that these two were going to, uh, things were going to work out differently for them. And that where normally the older brother was uh, the lead and the second one was not, the older one was going to serve the younger one. So, the passage goes on to give an account, if we read on further, uh, an account that a lot of you might be familiar with. Okay, and this is a story of uh, an account where Esau, this older brother, actually then sold his birthright to his brother Jacob. And if you remember the account, he sold it to him for a bowl of stew because he was so hungry. And, and so really what we have, because, uh, you know, later Esau regretted what he had done, but it was too late. That decision had been made. And so really from that very beginning, Jacob and Esau were rivals. And their descendants on down through the years continued to live and compete as nations. They didn't, they didn't get along. And, and the, the Edomites, Esau's relatives, uh, they just harbored this great dislike and distrust uh, for the Israelites. Verse 3 then goes on to tell us that the Edomites ended up, they, they moved and, they, and it says they lived in the cleft of the rocks. Well, in time, Esau and his descendants settled in the mountains that are kind of to the southeast of the Dead Sea, in, in part of what we know today as the, the country of Jordan. Okay? Uh, now, they were small in territory. They were politically insignificant. But they were situated right along a very significant trade route called the King's Highway. And that gave them some power because in those days, you kind of had to have permission to travel through people's land. And so the, the king's highway uh, came through the, the land that they had. That gave them a little bit of power. Okay? They also became famous for their, their capital city. And some of you may know their capital city is the city of Petra which today is in, again, in, in Jordan. And we all know Petra today is a huge tourist attraction still today. But that was the capital of the, of the Edomites. Beautiful, high, 
it says that they, they lived up high and they thought they were invincible. Would, they did live in a place that would be very hard to invade. Well, that caused, as verse 3 also told us, that a pride in their hearts developed, that they, that they were more powerful and that they could not be overcome. Uh, they thought they had become invincible. And so verse 3 says, they said to themselves, who can bring us down? Who can bring us down? You know, pride is a dangerous thing. Pride is a very dangerous thing. How does pride deceive a person? Pride comes before a fall. It does. But what, what does it do within us that, caught, that deceives us? It does. It blocks us from, from, from actually seeing what the true situation really is. It, you know, sometimes it's, uh, people say, you, you've been reading your own press too much. Right? You know, that's kind of our way of, of talking about it. But, but you're right. It's a very deceitful thing. Because uh, it will blind us to the truth. For sure it blinds us to the truth. Because we, we can only see what we, what we think. You know, pride is a sin. And so, what does sin do to us? It, sin separates us from God, which means when I'm separated from God, I'm also separated from God's wisdom. I'm separated from God's protection. I'm separated, I'm out there on my own because I think, because of the pride, that I'm competent, I'm capable, and I don't need God. And that's where the Edomites were. That's where they were. And, and Proverbs 16, 18, as someone just said a second ago, Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us that pride goes before destruction and a proud spirit before a fall. So the Edomites' pride was just setting them up for what was to come. One thing was for sure, though, if the people of Edom saw an opportunity to harm Israel, they were going to take it. Now, several hundred years into rivalry, when the Israelites... Have, through, after the Exodus and the, and the Israelites have left Egypt, okay, and then they've spent a number of years wandering through the desert, God speaks to Moses and gives him instruction to tell him to begin to move the Israelites to where eventually, to a location where they'll eventually cross over the Jordan and enter into the Promised Land. Interesting thing, the mo from where the Israelites were at that moment, the most direct route to where God wanted them to go was to take the king's highway, which meant that they would be crossing through a portion of Edom. So let's read briefly a little bit about that account. That's in Numbers 20. I'm going to read just a few verses, starting with verse 14. Numbers 20, verse 14. So this is the Israelites wanting to cross, on the, using the king's highway, to cross through a portion of Edom to get to where God has told them to go. Okay? So, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh, where they were, to the king of Edom, saying, This is what your brother Israel says. You know about all the hardships that have come on us. Our ancestors went down to Egypt, and we lived there for many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our ancestors, but when we cried out to the Lord... He heard our cry, he sent an angel, and brought us out of Egypt. 
Now we are here in Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and will not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, You may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. The Israelites replied, But we will go along the main road. If we or our livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. They answered again, You may not pass through. Then Edom sent out against them with a large and powerful army. And since Edom refused to let them go through the territory, Israel turned away from them. You know, this would have been a pretty easy thing to say yes to. They, they, they simply asked just to pass through on an established route. They just, they just wanted to pass through. They even offered to pay for anything that was consumed. But because of the old rivalry, the Edomite leaders said no. They would not assist their family, their relatives, in any way. More than that, think about it. The reason the Israelites wanted to do this was that God had instructed them to go. And now the Edomites are standing in the way of what God is telling them to do. Can I just make an observation here? It's never a good idea to stand in the way of someone who's trying to do what God has told them to do. Because now you're not just standing in their way, but you're, you're refusing God. You're getting in that way. Besides, Proverbs 3.27 is a verse that we know, and it says, don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. This would have been an easy thing for them to have allowed them to do. So we read that the outcome of that was that the Israelites went around Edom. They just went around, stayed out of their country, adding both distance and time as they continued on their journey to get towards where they would enter the Promised Land. So now, let's fast forward again. A, a good amount of time. And now we arrive at this time that Obadiah is writing about. Okay, we, write, we, we arrive here at this current situation. And here's what's going on. The Babylonians have invaded Judah. The Babylonians have invaded. And now, when the Edomites heard about this, not only did they not do anything to help their relatives, they cheered and gloated over their misfortune. And by the way, Proverbs 24, 17 says, Don't gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. And that's exactly what they did. They gloated. Okay? And if that weren't bad enough that they were happy at the misfortune of their relatives, as some of the Israelites were trying to escape from the Babylonians, probably heading south down the king's highway, okay, the Edomites came out and captured them and took them back to the Babylonians. They didn't help their family at all. They not only caught them, they turned them back in. 
to those that wanted to capture and, and either kill them or enslave them. And then, again, if that wasn't enough, they sent their own raiders into Jerusalem, and Scripture tells us that they looted it. Their own family. Psalm 137.7 says, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Man, how's that for being betrayed by family? By people who should be willing to help. You remember last week, if you heard Pastor Cindy and her message, uh, she talked about uh, a person or a nation's sin reaching a point, reaching a tipping point, okay? Reaching a tipping point, a point at which God, who is really long in patience, because God is really long in patience, isn't he? I mean, I think most of us here and, and most of you watching would, would agree. God has been very patient with me at many times in my life, and I'm sure he has been with you. But what we understand is there is a point when we don't turn, when we don't repent, when we don't come back to God, we can reach a tipping point, a point at which God, who is patient, can no longer bear with it. And that is the time that had arrived for the Edomites. As a result, God speaks through his prophet Obadiah, and he gives them this prophecy that we just read, condemning their treachery, their arrogance, and their pride. And he declares that God's coming punishment for their crimes against their family, God's chosen people, is on the way. Now, just a side note, one of the things we can learn from this is that if you are following God's plan for your life, if you are doing your best to follow God's plan for, and direction for your life, ultimately, God will oppose those who oppose you, that try to get in the way and keep you from being obedient to God. So let's see what God's punishment that he promised against the Edomites was going to look like. If you remember in verse 6, he said you're going to be ransacked and your treasures are going to be pillaged. Verse 7 told us they're going to get forced from their land. They're going to be deceived by people that they thought were friends and allies. In verses 8 and 9, it tells us that the wise men and their warriors are going to be slaughtered. Verse 10 tells us that all of this is going to happen because of the violence they committed against their brother Jacob. Verse 15 tells the Edomites in, the, in this prophecy that as you have done, your deeds will be turned on your own head. So you're, it's going to be measured out to you in what you've measured out. And verse 18 is probably the most important and dramatic one of all, it says, there will be no survivors of Esau. The Lord, and the Lord has spoken. When it says the Lord has spoken, that means this has been decided. That means this is beyond coming back and going, oops, 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 wait a minute, let's back up, I made a mistake, I need a do-over. No, once it says the Lord has spoken, the Lord has spoken. And when what God says will come to pass. Will come to pass. 
However, it tells us that Israel would be restored and it would be delivered. And on verse 17, it says, because it says on, on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy and Jacob will possess his inheritance. And the prophecy went even further. And this is something, think about it. When God deals with an issue and God wants to bless you and make things right where you've been treated poorly and been treated wrongly, God not only says, I'm going to, what, what they did to you, I'm going to do to them. I'm going to give you back what they took. But God, have you ever noticed he gives you more? Have you ever noticed he even does more? Okay, more than you, you know, we, we, there's a verse, right? We were reading it, that God does more. He does abundantly more than all we would even dare to ask. We don't even know how to ask for as much as what God's willing to do, but he'll do more. So verses 19 through 21 near the end of this is the more. Okay, because the, what the Edomites had done, right, was all about the, how they had treated them over the years. Okay, but throughout some of the years, some of the promised land that God had promised Abraham that the Israelites didn't have, it had been either taken over or never conquered. And so they didn't ever, they had not possessed all that God had promised them. And in these last verses through 19 through 21, God prophesied through Obadiah that all of the original promised land that had been promised to Abraham would be restored to Israel. It would all be put back. And so, I mean, that's a big deal. And so not only was he going to fix and set right what had been wrong, but he was going to give them even more. When God blesses you, it's like it says, it's Luke 6, 38. It says, God says, uh, he will give, it, uh, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken, shaken together and running over. That's what will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God is, is a gracious and generous God who gives us to overflowing. So, He's the God of more than enough. So let's just come to the end of this and talk about what we can do with it. How did things turn out? Well, history records that soon after this prophecy was given, Arab invaders began driving the Edomites from their mountain stronghold. By the first century AD, Edom no longer existed as a nation. During Jesus's day, the, uh, if you remember King Herod, Okay, who we read about with Jesus. King Herod was recognized as being of Edomite descent, but following the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Edomites totally disappear from history. Once again, God is always true to his word. The Lord has spoken. It will happen. As we mentioned uh, when we began, we've all experienced situations where we've been done wrong. Uh, you know, someone who should have helped wouldn't. Uh, someone uh, you thought you could count on turned your back on you. Someone you trusted uh, betrayed that trust. Uh, we see today, here was, there's a pretty big example that we see in, in, this, in this passage we've just read. So. What can we learn from today's passage that will allow us to respond in a God-honoring way when, uh, when people do us wrong? What can we do? So let me ask you a question. When someone does you wrong, how can you 
respond and not just react. What can you do to help you respond and not just react? Can pray? Yeah, what else? Anything else? Be calm. Be calm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of us, right, it, it's, it's the old, you know, the old joke about, you know, we, we want to shoot off right first, right, and then, and then think, you know, and, okay, so it's just don't, you know, don't, don't talk too quick. That's, that's good. So I think those are all great, great ideas. Few, you know, I, first I think we can turn it over, we need to turn it over to God. Now, that's easy to say and hard to do. Okay? And, and so I want you to understand, I, I want us to be clear that these things that we're, that we're talking about, uh, we can say them, at, these are hard to do. But, but it will make the difference in how, how things work out for us when people do us wrong. So what we, we don't want to overreact and try to get even. And that's usually our first response. Right? That's usually the first thing that comes to our mind is we, we, we tend to overreact. We, we think about, what can I do? Let me give you the hardest thing I'm going to say all day right now. But it's the most important thing I'm going to say all day. When someone does you wrong and you turn it over to God, the first thing you need to do is forgive them. And, 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 and I know somebody, you could be watching, you'd be thinking, are you crazy? No, because here's the problem. Until you forgive them, as hard as that can be, well, first of all, you've got to understand, that's the only workable path. You can try other things if you want, but, but forgiveness, forgiving them for what they've done and the wrong they've done to you, it's the only workable path because until you do, that wrong that they've committed, it maintains control of your life. Some, some people have been harboring grudges for decades. And they refuse to forgive the ones who committed it. Now, let's be clear. Forgiving someone for what they have done is no way acknowledging or saying what they did was okay. We have to really separate those two things. I think too many times people have been presented with the idea of forgiveness as somehow giving the indication that that was meaning what was done to them was okay. It wasn't okay. And let me be clear. God saw what was done to you. He knows. But until we forgive them, we are, we are chained to that. We will have no freedom, and it will absolutely control your life. And, and lack of forgiveness, you can read about this in medical journals, lack of forgiveness leads to bitterness, which will in time destroy your health. So not only is it a spiritual necessity, it is a physical necessity for you to be healthy. Forgiveness does just the opposite. Forgiveness releases healing into your life, into your life. 
When Israelites sought permission from the Edomites to cross through their territory and they were refused, the Israelites didn't try to fight them or even get even in some way. They just went around. They just went around and avoided further confrontation. They knew they were being directed by God to go to a specific place and they shouldn't get entangled in a conflict that was going to delay them in their obedience. Does that make sense? If I, get, if I start fighting these guys, not only am I not doing anything that God told me to do, but I'm delaying my obedience to what God did tell me to do. So let me give you a couple of simple examples to that in your daily life. For when, uh, you know, when someone turns their back on you and does you wrong, we, we don't want to react. We want to learn to respond. Okay, so just hang on here. Because uh, we said this for a minute, what, reactions are immediate. Reactions happen without thought or consideration. And what's really bad is that reactions usually just add fuel to the fire. Reactions don't help. They just add fuel to the fire. They amp it up. Responses come after a pause. I always like the phrase, just, so just take a beat. If you're, if you're musical, <laughs> you, you understand what? You understand that. Just, just take a beat. It's a, it's a beat of rest before, you know, one, one beat before you move on. So just take a beat and allow yourself to catch your breath, collect your thoughts, and seek God for what he would have you do. Here's a couple of for examples. So uh, this week when you go to the, to the mall or to the shopping center or to the grocery store, wherever you, you know, today we're not going that many places, but when you do, when you go there and somebody darts in front of you and grabs the parking spot you were headed for, don't go up and honk your horn at them. Don't go try to confront them. Just go on around the lot and find another spot. It's not worth it. When somebody on the freeway won't let you pull over, you know, they block the lane and you miss your exit. Man, don't go chasing them down. That isn't what God told you to do. You know, there you are on your way to Bible study. And you, you know, you, no, I mean, just think about it. You know, we have this, the enemy wants you to be offended. He wants you to take offense. He wants you to say, I didn't deserve that. And he wants you to go chase after that car and honk your horn and, and you know, point your finger at him. And, 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 you know, and you don't know what may happen next. But what I can tell you is this, is that God didn't give you instructions to do that. So don't do it. Just take the next exit. And if you don't know how to get to your destination from the next exit, just load it in your phone. It'll help you get there. But, but, but you know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be simplistic here, but I want us to understand that this idea of giving it to God and offense and somebody doing us wrong, probably for a lot of us happens a lot more frequently at that level of our life than the massive betrayals that we were reading about. It certainly happens there too. But we need to understand this applies to us regularly in our everyday life. So when somebody acts in a way to betray your trust, just take a step away from them and commit what happened to God. Now look, let's do be clear. I am not talking about some type of betrayal or abuse. Do you understand? I am not talking about any kind of physical abuse or betrayal. In fact, if that's the case, 
You fight if you can, you get away when you can, and you call the police when you can. That's different. That's different. But, you know, but let's also remember that a lot of betrayals are not just at the parking lot level. Okay? And sometimes there are tough things that people go through. Let's just go to one event in the Bible that really makes a, a really clear case of this, and let's talk about Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by all of his brothers. Joseph wasn't betrayed by a couple of folks. His entire family, all of his brothers said, let's get rid of Joseph. And so they dropped him in a well, parked him there until some traders came by and they sold him into slavery. I mean, really, think about that. How would you like to be treated that way by your family? You can start to see where, where someone, division could start to occur. Right? And people, you know, down in that well, Joseph could have been thinking, if I could get out of here, you know, I'd fight back. But he couldn't. But years later, so, so Joseph didn't react, right? He couldn't. He didn't. But years later, he had an opportunity to respond. Now, Think about what God had been doing in his life because he didn't react. But between the not choosing to not react and then when God gave him the opportunity to respond, does that make sense? You see what I mean? There's a period of time. And during that period of time, what was God doing? He was refining Joseph. He was maturing Joseph in his faith. He was giving Joseph his perspective. Joseph was now seeing that the things that his brothers had done, because if you remember how that account goes, after Joseph is sold into slavery and he's down in Egypt, he actually works his way out of prison and is now serving as like, you know, the, the number two guy in the nation. And there's a famine in the land. And Egypt, because of Joseph being there, has a lot of food. Israel is starving to death. The brothers get sent to, sent to Egypt to look for food. They, have, they think Joseph is long dead. But who, who do they wind up standing in front of? Their brother. Who... If God, if there hadn't been this gap of time between the wrong being done and the response being given, think how differently the response might have been. Rather, Joseph had all the power. Joseph could have grabbed his brothers, had them thrown in jail, could have had them killed. He had all the power to do that. But what did he do? He gave them food. And eventually, when they, when they discovered who he was, Joseph said in Genesis 50, he said, to, talking to his brothers, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done to save many lives. The Israelites would have all starved except one guy didn't 
react, but in God's proper timing, responded. So the first thing we got to remember is to give what happened to God. Second thing is ask God to give you a wise response. Ask him for wisdom. Isaiah 50, verse 4, The Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. And 1 Peter 3.10 says, Whoever would love life and see good days, get this, if you love life and you want to see good days, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. So we need to avoid slanderous comments. That's one, of the, that's one of the things we can be very guilty of very quickly when we feel like we've been hurt by somebody is we start talking bad about them to everyone we can. And we will say things about them. We will magnify it. They may not even all be true. When we get angry or wounded, we are just... The enemy will tempt us to lash out verbally, sometimes to their face, but boy, to their backs, yeah, a lot, a lot. God clearly speaks about how he feels about slander as well. Proverbs 10:18 says, Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. 1 Peter 2:1 says, Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Here's the thing. Think about it. Judgments are contained within slanderous comments. That's really what a slanderous comment is. It's a judgment. And as we know, we're not judged. God is. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to judge someone else's sermons, uh, servant? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master they will stand or fall. Look, my experience has been this. When we pass judgment on other people, if you or I decides to make judgments on those people who do you wrong, my experience has been God says, okay, I'll just kind of sit over here and see how this works out. Because what we've done is we've actually said, your job, God, we're going we're gonna to sit in judgment. We're going to see it. We're going to determine how this works out. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God to sit out during my problems. I want God actively involved. And one of the ways for me to keep actively involved in what's going on in my life is for me not to issue judgments and start trying to do God's job. And so that's one of the things we need to do because truth is only God is qualified to judge. So I do want to encourage you to be aware of something, though, because let's be practical and realistic here. Uh, when we do allow God to do his job, right? So when we do not sit in judgment on other people and we allow God to be judged, be ready for this. God's timing will likely be different than yours. Most of us, the reason we want to sit in judgment is because whatever it is we say, we want to execute that judgment right now. Right? I want to, I want to see stuff, I, I want to see, you know, resolution <laughs> to my, what I consider was done wrong to me. I want that resolved, like, you know, before lunch. Okay? Well, let's remember Joseph. Between 
the wrong being done and the resolution, it was some time. Call it years. Okay? So, are you, and I mean this sincerely, you really have to decide, am I willing to allow God to be judge? Am I going to a willing to allow to God to move in my life in his time? Okay? Uh, but let's also remember that just because God doesn't move right away, that doesn't mean he's not at work on your behalf. Right? Because he's moving a lot of things over here that are out of my sight, bringing things together, lining things up, preparing things. Part of what he's doing is maybe preparing me. Remember, the biggest work he probably did with Joseph was on Joseph. To prepare Joseph for the tasks that he had ahead for him. So when God is telling you to give that wrong to him, let him make it right. Wait on him and seek him for wisdom. God may not only be starting to deal with that thing, but think about what he's also doing with you. To prepare you so that, one, maybe you won't get in that kind of problem again, but also maybe it's got nothing to do with that wrong that was done to you. Maybe the thing God is trying to do in your life is to prepare you for some bigger thing over here, some bigger thing he wants to use you for, but right now you're not ready. Because we need to mature. We need to grow into that thing God is calling us to do. And this is just part of the, the, the exercise along the way to get us there. It's just part of moving us into being all who God has called us to be. Um, so give, give what happened to God and ask him to give you that wise and instructed tongue, okay? Because when God does move on your behalf, if we will allow him to be God and allow him and wait on his timing, I can assure you one last thing. Uh, whatever he does will be far more effective than anything you could have come up with. Okay? Last thing. Allow God to fight for you. Allow God to do it. We've, we've talked about verse, uh, Psalm 46.10 a number of times here. It says, be still and know that I'm God. I don't know about you guys, but there's a, I mean, there are certain times in my life, there are certain challenges that I've faced, and I'm sure you have too. You know, I mean, some of us here <laughs> during the pandemic and during all this political season and all this stuff, there are times when you go, this just feels like craziness. I don't know what to do. I mean, have you ever felt like I know I need to pray, but I'm so, I don't even know how to start? I, I don't even know what to start with? Well, here's a great way to start. Be still and know that I am God. Waiting's hard. God's timing's always best. And the proof of that, finally, from today's passage, is simply this. Edom's inhabitants no longer exist. Israel is still around. Right? Jerusalem is still here. God had to... Here's my promise for you. God had a plan to deliver Israel. God's got a plan to deliver you from whatever wrong has been done to you. If we'll do it His way. His way. Stand with me. Let's, let's close today. All right? Um, look, um,
just two things. You, uh, you may have been done wrong at some point in the past by a family or a friend. And today, what you would recognize is I have never forgiven them. And I am carrying the price of that with me every day. And today, to lay that down. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And if you're on watching live, you just uh, can participate as well. Because God knows. If, if no one looking around, but if that's you and you'd say, yeah, I need to let go of something and forgive something that I've been carrying on for a long time. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just say, yeah, today I need to forgive that person for what they've done. Okay. Some of you... Uh, might say, you know what, I've, I've missed some opportunities to help some people when it was within my power to act. And, and Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for that. I, I could have done that better. And so today, uh, I, I want to become very aware of, of those opportunities you place in front of me to, to help those around me. Uh, if you would say that's you, just you want to be that person, raise your hand. Just commit to help those when it's in your power to act. Yeah. So, Lord, today, we want to be your people, God. We want to be people, Lord, that hear your voice, that respond to you. And, God, when people do us wrong, we want to handle it properly, Lord. We want to handle it in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And, Lord, when we have an opportunity to help those around us, Lord, I pray that we would not be like the Edomites, who would not only not be willing to help, but would actually hurt. God, I pray that we would always be willing Lord, to be the people that you've created us to be. So we commit these things to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.